Did you want to say a few words? Um, no. I, uh, I want to thank all those back there in the sound area for working with me these uh, seven weeks now. And I appreciate it. It's always great when that machine, those machines work and when this works. Um, you and I have been in too many missions conferences where the video that has been tested before the service fails to work during the service, right? It's just terrible. So I thank you very much, gentlemen, for all your help. So this is the seventh of eight uh, lessons on finance, and let's go ahead and pray and we'll begin this morning. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have once again to come together. We thank you, Father, for the love that you have for us. Lord, uh, it is amazing to us as we consider who you are, but the God who spoke everything into existence, who did so in six days, who spoke things into existence that had the form of age, like Adam and Eve, plants, trees, our universe, the sun, the stars, the moon. Uh, Lord, we can trust you and we thank you for it. Remind us when we are doubting your abilities to remember what you did in six days. And Lord, then we remember as well the fact that before the foundations of the earth, Lord, you'd already, you'd already decided on the one plan and the only plan that would work for salvation of a people who you know would not trust you, not want you, and yet, God, you orchestrated it. We wish to say this morning, thank you for it. Give us wisdom today, uh, this morning, as well as in the afternoon, the evening, the decisions that we make, may they be to your honor and glory in Christ's name. Amen. I hope today and throughout the days you do consider the magnitude of our God, his character, in your decision-making, remembering uh, his goodness to us through time, and that he is capable of answering prayer of his people. Have you ever thought about the truth that even though at this moment right now you may not be praying, but those moments you are praying to the Lord, someone else in a different country with a different language is doing the same thing? And then multiply that tens of hundreds of thousands of times in that instant. And God can hear each of you individually and know your request. What an awesome God. Computers are, are nothing compared to our God. We think they're superior sometimes to us, unfortunately, but they're really not. And God is superior to all. We thank him for who he is. So today we are dealing uh, with the second lesson on budgeting. And I won't be showing a spreadsheet today. Uh, we did last week. Um, uh, you know, we laid out some debt was the first thing I showed, some credit card debt, stuff like that, right? Uh, homeowners, uh, mortgage debt, and some other things. And we laid out all the expenses first. We pulled out 10% here and 10% there for savings. We pulled out those things that we had to write a check for. I suggested to those who are having a problem with money that they may even go back to something like an envelope cash system. And believe it or not, that's a great way to just bring things down to uh, let's make our lives a little simpler here and where we don't need to pay by credit card or by check. Let's do it cash and just see how that works. And you'll find out very easily how often you have been pulling from one fund to the next. Um, groceries, boy, tell you what. Uh, we, you know, we had four children, two girls, two boys. Our boys out ate the girls. There's no doubt about it. It didn't increase their size any. They're just ravenous beasts, okay? So we thought that when they left for college and so on, our, elect or our, uh, our uh, grocery bill would go down. It wasn't substantial because then you get price increases, right? And now 
I'm, I mean, folks, I'll be honest with you, it may be cheaper to actually have your own chickens and lay the eggs now uh, than it is to go and buy them. Um, and then do you do free range? Well, they're not free, obviously. They're expensive range, whatever you want to call them. Um, but the fact is that prices go up. But if you had in an envelope, for instance, 400 bucks a month, 200, 300, 500, whatever your, your bill would be for groceries, and that can include laundry detergent, whatever you pick up at the grocery store, right? More than just food. And you told yourself, I'm going to work on this, and in three, four months, I'm going to get this down to where I'm going to have one set amount for groceries, and that's it. And I'm going to learn to live within my budget. As you pick up grocery goods, you're going to start thinking more about pricing than before. Do I really need that type of this? Can I go with this instead? You've locked yourself down. That's kind of what a budget attempts to do, is lock yourself down to paying a certain amount for certain things and no more. I'll be honest, one of our first cars we ever bought uh, when my wife and I early married life, it was rather humorous. We had a certain amount saved. At that time, I don't know if it was 2,000, 3,000. I mean, it was a lot different then. And we went, to the, we went down about 80 miles south of us to look at a, a Ford Escort wagon. Our family was getting a little larger at the time. And uh, so we're going for a wagon instead of the little stick shift we had. And uh, I went down there, and uh, I didn't know anything about buying a car from a dealer. And so I decided, let's do it this time. We saw, uh, not online, but we had somehow found out about it. Went down there and found the car that we wanted. Loved it. It was great. No rust on it, which was unusual for Wisconsin, right? And decided to buy it. And uh, I said, I'm looking for a car, and this is how much money I have. And I he, oh, you know, how about this one? Great, fine. It worked. And they said, that'll be something, something, right? And he added the tax. And I'm sorry, no, that's not going to work. Why not? I said, you don't understand. This is all we have. We have no more. And the great thing was, it was like they're closing at like 6, and it's like, you know, 5.55 type thing. So I'm, and we chose the best time at that time was the last day of the month. This guy has something called a quota to meet. So I had him locked in, right? I've got the money. We have the car, you know, we're looking at. We're coming down. It's the last day of the month, and it's minutes before closing. Now, I know he'd stay up. We didn't need any financing, okay? So his finance guy could go. And what does he say? Okay. We got a car for only what we had, literally set aside in our budget for this vehicle. We locked it down. Rather than him being able to throw in, well, I'll tell you what, how about we just finance it? And then, as funny thing is, when, when you finance vehicles or houses, they're gearing it toward what can you afford in the payment. So they'll add a few more years, which drops the payment amount, and you feel better, but they've just found a great way to get more money out of you because the longer they make that loan the more interest you will pay. Never look at a loan as far as, oh, I only have to pay this much. Ask yourself, what's it going to cost me at the end? What is it going to cost me after I paid it off with all the interest and the principal and everything? That ought to be what you're spending more time on than this little amount. Because if they want to have you look at this better, I guess, they'll add more years and lower the amount, and you'll feel better about purchasing something that's now going to cost you more than it would have before. That's a freebie. But nonetheless... I learned lessons early on. Sometimes we made foolish mistakes in our life. I decided I was going to have fun one time and allow a Kirby vacuum cleaner salesperson to come in my home. I said, honey, don't worry about this. I bought the thing. Oh, word. That thing is a tank. You can kill someone with that thing. Honestly, you can. 
it is a beast. Now, they, gave, they told you the 50 things it'll do, but only two are ones we want. But it looked good. I mean, honestly, I bought a Kirby vacuum cleaner. I don't know why. I hope I don't have any Kirby dealers in here. I apologize greatly if I do. But hey, we only have one more lesson after this anyway. Um, so I haven't always made wise choices. And fortunately, that was actually one of our worst of bad choices. But I want to I take you to a verse, if you don't mind, Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> Let me get the exact. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse number 10. This is going to be a strange lesson because it doesn't seem like it fits with the budget, but actually it really does. And I want to spend more time on something today than you would think typical. But Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10, the first part says this. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. I really love the verse. I love the idea here that if you're going to do something, put all into it. That reminds me of a couple things. Number one, have you ever had a difficult time saying no when you're asked to do something? We have some people in here that want to say yes to everything. I want to serve. I want to help. I want to give. A... But the fact is, the more you do this, I'll just tell you the truth. The more you do this, the less time you have for all the things you need to be doing. Devotions and family time and uh, uh, meeting needs with fa uh, other people outside your family, neighbors or church time or work time, whatever. I have learned to say no. Uh, one of our first ministries that I was in was in college. We were at a small church, and I was the song leader, the, uh, the song leader, the Iwana commander. I taught a Sunday school class for um, teenagers. I drove the bus of students. Seems like there was something else. And then we left the ministry. And you know what happened? The pastor said, uh, uh, he actually, we, we moved on to a different ministry in the area where I taught in a Christian school for eight years. But they came to our house and said, do you realize that when you leave, all these things are going to be empty? And I felt the weight of saying yes a lot. Because in that moment, I realized my saying yes meant that when I left, there were a lot of empty spaces. Someone else could have led the song leading. And, and someone else could have driven the bus. And, and I realized I, at that point, I my desire is to say yes to everything. And I wish all of us had that desire. But practically speaking, I shouldn't be saying yes to everything if, by the way, an added note, I can't do well the things I've said yes to. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. For all of you that are working, I realize some of you are retired, and this doesn't just apply to employment, but for everyone that is working in here, is that accurate of your work? The work that you're putting in, are you known for doing a really good job? Now, good has a number of definitions to it, but in the workforce, it could mean anything from being very efficient to being the fact that when you're done with something, it's finished, and when people come back to look at it, they can actually attest, that's done really well. I bet so-and-so did that. You're not a time waster. You're good with people, if that is your job. If you're in a managerial position, you're good with those that you're managing, you care about them and they know it. I'm not even saying here that you're really great at your job so long as you're happy with your pay. I'm not connecting those at all because this says nothing about amount you're getting paid. 
This says, what your hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. Up north, where we're from, there are a number of unions. I, I, I'm sure there are unions down here as well. But I remember my dad, who worked in American Motors, saying this. He thought it was interesting that the regular people, uh, the workers, were not allowed to do anyone else's job. Now, that goes a little crazy when you realize if there is a spill of some kind that the custodians are supposed to get to, don't touch it. Now, that goes against my grain. If someone dropped something, papers and all that, and the garbage, or the, you don't touch it. It's not your job. So I realize there are places of employment where you can't just extend yourself to just help in some way, really. But for the most part, I think we can, and we see needs, and we should help others. Whatever you do, do it with all thy might. The reason I bring up this at all is because one of the pieces of the budget is the income side. We spend a lot of time, most people spend a lot of time on a budget getting every expense down and learning to live within their income, which is what you have to do. But what about dealing with the income side? There are lots and lots of young people, by that I mean 20s, 22, 25s, who have debt galore from student loans and are finding it very difficult to make things work when the economy is as it is. <clears throat> and maybe their field is not burgers at McDonald's, but the truth of the matter is I firmly believe this. In any place that a believer works, they should be known for good work. And I believe even in a, a business where you enter into it and it's not your forte, you really don't love it, it's not your passion, I believe you can still excel as a believer by doing good work. I don't care if it's, if it's cleaning toilets or washing, scrubbing dishes. I don't think it makes any difference. Wherever God puts you, do work well with a good spirit. And I believe he will bless you. And you will see if there's avenues up the ladder that God will move you of his will in that direction, even though you may not be asking for it. I think that's true. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in other people's lives. If we were to read Luke chapter 14, 28, it says, For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not first down and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that beholdeth begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king goeth to war, make war rather against another king, sitteth not down first, consulteth whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth uh, and, and embassy or ambassadors and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Christ here in the context is talking about this. Count the cost. Know ahead of time what you're getting into. And I'd like to make reference to these first verses, stepping out of the immediate context to just say this. Whatever we endeavor to do on a large scale, be it the choice of jobs we have, whether we're going to build our own house or not, uh, what vehicles we buy, count the cost. Know the cost in your budget before you ever jump into a major decision, what it's going to do for you. And then go on to this and say, okay, with my income, can I afford what I have just done? Proverbs chapter 21.5 said, The thoughts of the diligent 
tend only to plent plenteousness, but of everyone that is hasty, only to want. Let me move on. I, I gave this slide here <clears throat> last week. I want to talk about it a little more because I don't think I did it justice. Crown's ministers, Crown, Crown's ministers founder, ministry's founder, the late Larry Burkett, says that when a couple sits down to create a family budget, their differences can actually be one of their biggest assets. I want to talk about that. I didn't spend enough time last week. Let's say that you have extremes. You have a husband or wife that is extremely frugal. Their joy is saving money at the expense of any luxuries that you can imagine. When they buy toilet paper, they buy the L cheapest out there possible, right? Uh, if they're going to buy tires for a vehicle, they may be the lowest uh, mileage tires, 30,000 instead of 60,000, okay? They are excited to save and have extra money somewhere, okay? Now, I am not asking for a raise of hands, now, I use a couple example, a couple, as in two people, a family, uh, but it could be a single is the same way in here. It doesn't make a difference. One of those spouses, let's say the family brings in 4,000, or you as an individual bring in 4,000, right? Every month, that's after taxes. This person is so strict, they're going to do everything they can to keep 2,000 and put it away. They're going to squeeze everything out of that money, that other 2,000, to make it work. Uh, they live out of their car in the Walmart parking lot. Their breakfast consists of eggs and bacon that are wrapped in tinfoil and cooked on the engine while they're driving to work. Okay, Their, their, um, their dinner uh, is hamburgers, again, tinfoil, on the engine, driving back to the Walmart parking lot of life. And they, are, they love it. They're, they're misers, and they absolutely love this saving money stuff. That's one person. The other person wants to make memories with their money. They may enjoy giving it to others and seeing the expression on their face, and that's all the satisfaction they need. Or giving to a missionary and seeing that a project is fulfilled and the church can now meet in a larger building because of your help. That's exciting. They're the ones that may love to travel. They love the moments of travel. They love being somewhere. They love the memories and the photographs. Okay, two extremes. How in the world are you going to ever make that work without some split of this couple? You may be on the side as a single person. You love the memories. You love all that. Okay? But can a couple make this work? Absolutely. In fact, I mean, there are couples maybe in here that this is very much like you. Here's how they do it. The one person who's extremely frugal makes sure that they have enough money coming in to meet all the necessary expenses. Then we blend the other person in. And with the extra that they have, they set aside money for a future vacation together of the family or the individuals. Or they set aside money for missions, for missionaries. Or they set aside money for something for the needs of family members or neighbors. They even set aside certain money for each other. Like uh, my favorite was always early on, my, we were poor, right? My wife sets aside like $25 for me. That was my money for the month. Books, learning, something was my big and still is my big thing. If YouTube costs money to watch educational videos, I'd be buying it, right? I absolutely love it. Give me books, books, books. But it was something that was mine to use in the ways I chose. 
you can make, you have to have a strict budget because you don't want to be in the red every month. You don't have to go to a credit card because you have no money and then pay the interest on that. But you also have to live a life. You have to be known as a giver. We should be given to hospitality. Now, that's a, that's a feature of pastors, but I think it's a, a, an idea that would, would suit us all well. You can do it both and have a fabulous marriage still. Now, I'm not saying my wife and I are one extreme or the other, but we have lived under a budget for our entire married life. Never felt constricted. Never paid a penny in interest to any credit card company. With our credit card, we get free hotel stays. I think I have 20 hotel stays for free. Uh, there are perks in credit cards if you can handle that. Um, things like that. It can work. It can work really well. It doesn't have to be my way and my way. It can be our way together. You have to work together. And again, you don't have to be a couple to do that. If you're a miser, add some non-miserly things in there. You've got to be thinking of the needs of others. If you are all over here and you're willing to use a credit card and pay interest for a trip somewhere, think otherwise. Don't do that. Instead, save your money for a trip so you don't have to get into that terrible situation. Your budget and your job. So what are we looking at here? We're looking at the income side instead of a budget. Last week, it was the expense side. This week, it's an income side. Most people start into the workforce with the idea that it's a way to earn money. Makes sense, right? Both of my sons got jobs at McDonald's. Now, my son reprimanded me. I said, so how do you like flipping burgers? He said, Dad, we don't flip burgers. They're heated on both sides simultaneously. I did not know that. Did you know that? How many of you still use the phrase, flip burgers? Okay, a few. I did not know that. Now, food service is not for everyone, but both my boys got jobs at McDonald's. Uh, Andrew was there for a year. John was there for two years. Comments my sons made, both of them, helped me to get an idea, at least in that location, or that uh, food chain, restaurant chain. Both of them said, Dad, you know, we had about 20 people in our entry group that were hired all identical times. Right there. We were then given all the training at a certain location. Theirs was south of Hartzell. And then we were spread out to locations that were close to us. All of these kids were to be working at the Hartzell uh, McDonald's. The majority of them never made it past the first couple weeks. So they would bring in five or six or 10 or 20 kids. They'd hire them on the spot or whatever. Some kids never even made it to training. They literally said, I know I'm hired, but I don't want to work anymore. Good, kind. Some would come in, they'd work for one week and be gone. Some two weeks gone. After the third week or fourth, you can pretty much identify there are maybe two or three out of 20, 10% of the entire group. Do you know how, that's, how expensive that would be for management to spend all that time on, the, on all those people only to have 10% of them work? And then some that don't get past two, three, four months. Once in a while, you get a manager that's there for years. I cannot imagine that. Not all companies are smart in their hiring process. And you may be part of a company that's like that, or you may be part of a company that's not. They're smart in hiring, but keeping workers is another matter altogether. I understand that. That does not change the fact that you should be the best worker you can possibly be in whatever situation you're in. So we can't talk about money wisely. Um, 
in our first lesson or investing as I did in my second or saving money on insurance on the third without little time devoted to the discussion of earning money. One time, actually when I came to BWM, I had five jobs before that. I came from a, a place up north where I was teaching at Christian school. Um, I was treasurer for a town. I was doing bookkeeping for the church. I had a locksmith business on the side because as a teenager, I was apprenticed as a locksmith. And yes, I do know how to pick locks. And no, I won't do that for you. And I had a fifth something I can't remember. And I came here earning $19,000 a year. That was my income. And BWM was fabulous. BWM matched my income. Actually, they brought it up to, I think, 20000 This would be 25 plus years ago. And Dr. Mort said, Mike, we want to do some stuff to help you. So early on, I got a slight raise, which was huge for us because now I only have one job. Um, instead of five jobs, it was amazing to get one W-2, only one W-2 instead of five, right? And it was weird coming off of teaching to be working all year long instead of nine months of the year and wondering what am I going to do during this intern. So God provided for us through that process of time. <clears throat> Let me get to my notes here. And I decided no matter what I was going to do, I was going to do it with all my might. I took on a custodial job, which I maintain to this day. So I actually have two jobs. I do custodial work and I am business director of BWM. And we continue it because we're funding a retirement in the future where I would like to retire and have my funds outlive me, if that's possible. With all that I mentioned to you in retiring and setting aside money for retirement, I'm doing the very same thing I mentioned to you in the first or second lesson that we were together. But it doesn't make any difference what field you happen to be in. It doesn't make any difference. Teaching or electrical engineering, or it doesn't make any difference what field you're in. But I do want to cover something else here that I think is really important. I wish that I had learned this early on. I read a book about two years ago on Steve Jobs. Now, Steve Jobs is known for the guy of passion, right? Apple computers. When I was in high school, I had a weird job. It was, I, was at a, I was in Christian school for three years, and then, I mean, I was in a public school for most of my life. The 9th, 10th, 11th, I was in Christian school, and my unsaved dad decided, you are going to go to a public school. You're not going to Christian schools anymore. We'd paid our way through the others, and he said, no more. So I ended up in a public school. And the Lord actually orchestrated that in a fantastic way. I had no idea. I didn't see the threat of God in my history, in my life at that time. But I ended up with a spare slot in, in I think it was Tuesdays and Thursdays. I had no class. And, uh, and they needed me to do something. I said, well, I don't know what to do. And they said, well, how about this? How about you work for the guidance counselor? I said, okay, I don't know anything about that, but I will. So they put me in this, in this room, and my job was this. When a student came in, I was to say, please sign here. And then they went to talk to the guidance counselor. When the student came back, I was to say, please sign here. That was my job. You talk about boring. But they had this weird-looking machine. They called it an Apple IIc. It's a weird 
machine, and it was a computer, right? I'd never really seen a computer. I decided to learn to program on a computer. So I decided to program this Apple IIc, right? Well, the Apple product itself, Steve Jobs was one of the main guys, and there was a second guy that did actually most of the work. He did all the programming work, hardware, software, everything. But Steve Jobs had a passion, right? Stop right there. Steve Jobs did not have a passion for computers and computing. Years before that, Steve Jobs got out of college. His passion was to go to India, find whatever he needed to. He faltered and, and did almost nothing during these initial years. His passion years were nothing. It, it rewarded him in no way except it cost him money. Nothing. What happened was this. He ended up coming up with an idea to make money. And so he, with his college buddy, started a business. They had these awful, ugly-looking thing, personal computers, which personal computers were not in. Mainframes, massive units were. Unix and Linux and all these other things. Uh, ENIAC, I think was the term for massive computers at the time, or one of them. And uh, so started this personal computing idea and made a lot of money fast. Now what happened was this, and this is why I'm going to differentiate passion from something else. A business grew not out of a passion. It grew out of a desire to make money. But what ended up happening was he did make money because he met a need that was obvious. People wanted personal computers. They wanted computing for themselves. I know of a lot of people, honestly, now they're going for their passion. And they want the world to bring them cash for it. I suggest this. You become a craftsman in what you do. And the passion will come after the fact. When you begin to do something with all your might, you will begin to see the rewards. If it's in your area, God will gift you with it. He'll strengthen you with it. You'll find that you will be doing a better job. You'll start to get noticed by your employer, and things will just happen. As you become a craftsman of something, your passion will connect to that. And that's about the only time you're going to see, in most cases, a lot of income coming from a passion is already after you've made a name for yourself in something. I knew of a young lady once. She was living at home with her parents. I don't know how old she might have been, 20s or early 30s, I'm not really sure. <clears throat> and she actually talked with me about a house. She wanted to buy a house. I said, okay, well, are you okay with showing me your budget? And she gave me some stuff, and I said, you won't be able to do it. She said, well, how will I, how will I get a house? I don't want to keep living with my parents all the time. And I said, very simply this. There's one thing your budget doesn't include, nothing in housing. She said, well, I don't pay housing. I said, that's irrelevant. Your employer, whatever your employer is, should be paying you enough to provide for your budget or you shouldn't be working there if you believe that budget is important. So we factored in what a rental would cost her, utilities, insurance, and everything. She now had a new end amount that she needed to receive. She was so good with her employer. She had done such a fabulous job, and they needed her, that she went to them and said, I would like a pay raise. And they gave it to her to match her budget. And then after a few years, she had enough for a down payment, or not down payment, the initial amount, well, yeah, actually it was a down payment, sorry, down payment, that she bought a house. Just before the market went wild, okay? So good timing as well. I've known of other people, done a fabulous job in their work, 
but realize things are getting very, very tight. But they're known, they're craftsmen. They're really loved by their employer. They've made a name for themselves. And they've asked, could I possibly get a raise? And they had all the, they've already figured out exactly what their needs are. They knew what their desires are. This is totally in God's hands. But do their very best at the job you're in. Passion seldom pays the bills. But a quality worker, someone that helps improve the product. You may be on an assembly line. You wonder, what am I going to do on an assembly line? Well, maybe you found an area where you can speed up a process. Hopefully your employer is willing to listen. By the way, I think all employers need to be listening very well to the people that are actually doing the job that the employer would like to change in some way. That person doing the job can probably tell you 10 and 20 ways of making it a better position by doing something, helping in safety, helping in speed, helping efficiency, efficiency, lowering costs, whatever the case is. Proverbs chapter 18, 9 says, He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. Proverbs 10, 4 says, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. I'll caution you, whenever you see the word rich, if you're in scripture reading Proverbs or maybe Psalms or other places that deals with the slothful and the rich or the poor and the rich, if your desire is just to get rich, you've missed everything I've talked about. That is not my desire. Our desire should be to have enough to provide for our needs. That's the first and foremost piece. Sometimes you're in a position in a job that isn't doing that. Expenses are going up and the income isn't changing. Or they've cut hours or done something. There is an opportunity sometimes you're just going to have to decide to make a change possibly. Consult with, if you're married, consult with your wife. Always consult with the Lord. Should I change jobs? Should I ask for a raise? If you're going to think about changing a job anyway and you're a good worker, I would ask for a raise first. If they say no, you would have likely changed jobs anyway. There's nothing to lose in a situation like that. I do think that we need to ask wisdom if we're going to make that kind of a major change. I have known of husbands that have changed jobs and never consulted their wife. I think that's a very bad idea. Wives have a way of seeing things we husbands just simply miss. We're not thinking about. Maybe it would automatically demand a move. Maybe the kids are going to be pulled out of school. Maybe who knows what. Husbands, find out from your wives. Ask them, what do you think? Yes, the decision is going to be yours, but ask. Wives, do the same thing. And don't leave the Lord out either. Proverbs chapter 22, 29 says, Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. I believe that if you are in a job, if I'm in a job, we should honestly do our very best. If we're ever tempted to slack off or to give less than our best because we hate our jobs or because we cannot agree with the company direction or we are constantly at odds with management, then it might be an opportunity to change. But before you do that, consult godly people Family members, don't just jump. I have most of the time in getting a new position, a major position, like coming down to BWM, created a pro and con sheet where I list the benefits of coming, which, by the way, do you not realize that we always see the benefits? There's always going to be benefits. Oh, this will be exciting. 
you need a con side as well. What are some things that are not going to be so great or some things that may not be as good as I think they are? And a pro and con sheet I've used many, many, many times in my life before I make a major decision. Is this really a good idea? And then you ask God for something that's really important and some people remember, Lord, if all the pros outweigh the cons and if this is the right decision, Lord, when do you want me to do this? Do you realize you can have a when that's wrong and the timing was bad? Everything else looked good, but you chose the wrong timing on something. It could be the wrong timing in a year. It could be months. It could be days. It could be years. Something that you have got to ask God for timing. I have found, and you probably have as well, that God's timing is always best. Even sometimes we go, why didn't that happen? Why didn't that happen? Years later, you say, I know why that didn't happen. Because this had to happen first. God's timing is always best. There was a a gentleman who was hired at a bank. His sole job was spreadsheets. He was to do lots of different calculations and lots of different things as an internal, internal reports. He spent hours upon hours and hours doing this. Then he heard of something called macros. So he he learned. He started to study on his own. Outside office hours, which by the way, some of you are doing it all the time. I do it all the time. Outside office hours, he started to figure out computer programming for Excel spreadsheets. And he set up programs or code that would do some of the work for him. He got down to a point where he didn't literally have to do anything anymore. He could just click a button and the spreadsheets would handle themselves. Now, I want to ask this. How many think that's really cool in this? Anyone think that's really cool? No one? A few? Oh, I got... I just think that's cool, okay? I read that story. I read that story some years ago and I thought, I wonder if I could do that the mission. I wonder if I could if I could learn enough or even hire it out. I, thought, I, I think I might be able to do that. So we have 30 or 40 automated routines at the mission now that are running when we're not even there. During our prayer time on Tuesdays, we have a report that's going to our administrators from our bookkeeper's computer, and she's in prayer time with us. Now that just to me is cool. Learn outside your job. Be the best that you can do. Not to necessarily make more money, but just to be the best worker you can be. You say, well, I'm retired. I don't have an outside job. I'm going to talk to the retirees here for just a second, and then we're done. You have a fabulous opportunity to do something in this church, and I hope you do this. And that is, you can encourage us. This has nothing to do with the job. When I get older, have you heard this phrase, old and cranky? Have any of you ever heard that phrase? If I become that, will you ask me not to come to church anymore? No, I'm not kidding. I mean, I'm not serious, sorry. But you folks, will you please encourage us? We would like to hear the history of your work and your life, your time in the military, if that was you. 
Don't think that you're done with the job and here you are coming to church, you go home. We love you and appreciate you and I love to hear stories of you, your situation. All of us are individuals. And yeah, you're, you're not working anymore. That doesn't mean you can't be productive in some way and helpful and, and spend time with us. Because I think that's really important. Father, thank you for the morning and the time we have together. Lord, help us in our jobs. Help us those that don't have jobs. There are still things that are being done. Uh, it may be stuff outside the home, in the lawn, the flower beds. It may be uh, writing letters can be done to church people or friends to encourage them. Lord, whatever our hands find to do, help us to do it with all our might. We need people of influence today, and we need godly people of influence. Help those who are represented here who are employed, or have a, maybe they're self-employed. They may set their own hours and decide on their services and, and their products. Lord, help them to be a godly example in their workplace. Help them to be thinking about their employees above themselves. And thank you, Father, for your word and its truth. It applies to every avenue of our lives in Christ's name.